Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Salute. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Dingway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Dingway of the USS Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Back where I belong, standing on my standing mat. Yeah, you've got one of those like uh, artificial butt fat mats on the ground. Butt fat mat? It's got that like butt fat texture. It's like nice and mushy. Butt fat mat is like a unpopular name of a garbage pail kid card <laughs> check out butt fat matt <laughs> why is his butt so fat i like those mats i never had one before yeah i don't have a standing desk should i get a standing desk i love the standing desk i was not an early adopter to this back when i was working in an office full-time yeah you know you started to see them And honestly, so much about what's shitty about office culture is what's shitty about society anyway, which is like, why does that person get something different and I don't? (laughs) Yeah. Like, that was kind of the vibe that pervaded the office. Like, oh, uh, Stacy in accounting is standing in her desk. What makes her so special? Yeah. But then the reverse side of it is if you're like a sitting at your desk person and the person next to you gets a standing desk, it's like, okay, now all of their farts are like at nose level. Yeah. Yeah. You want to deploy the standing desks equally, especially in the same cubicle. Yeah. I think you want to get everyone up or down. I uh, I was reading about one that uh, has a button on the side and it goes from sitting to standing and I was like... I was mainly intrigued in just the audacity of the idea that I would have my act together enough that a desk could change height and everything wouldn't like unplug and fall <laughs> off of it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Like I'm a maniac about cable management and I don't have my shit together well enough to ensure that even when I pull my desk out from the wall for some reason, that yeah. shit doesn't go crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I might, I don't know. I might uh, I might explore that at some point. I get a sitting chair though. So if I got a st- you got a nice tall chair for your standing desk. Yeah, I chose my nice chair based on the height of my of my desk. Yeah. But I also chose my the height of my desk and the height of my chair based on a job I no longer have. Like back when we were editing for 8 to 14 hours a day. Yeah. Like the stand ended up being therapeutic. You wanted that, but I don't keep the same hours that I used to in front of a computer. So I'm wondering if maybe I'm doing more harm than good by standing in one place as often as I tend to do. It's interesting because when we go on tour, we always have a table and we sit down. And one thing that we uh, experimented a little bit with on our last tour was uh, starting the show on foot, mm-hmm. coming out and uh, and standing up and talking for five or 10 minutes, doing our mm-hmm. Marin Open. Yeah on foot and then going and sitting down and uh, doing the rest of the show as we would seated, except for that's, that's the natural podcasting position for me. It's not for you. You've always been a stand to podcast. Boy, did I resist that idea. (laughs) When you proposed that the first time I was like, you were a maniac. (laughs) Why do you want to like, we just got rid of all our complications for our live show. And now you're trying to add complications back in where the old complications used to be. I'm always thinking of new ways to make our lives slightly more challenging. <laughs> but when we tried it a couple of times, I think the the effects were clear. 
It was fun moving around the space. Here's the thing about going and seeing a live podcast show or performing in a live podcast show. It's a table on a stage. Yeah. It looks weird. So getting out and walking around actually feels pretty good. Yeah, it was nice to do. Having a wireless mic was really fun because you could also like take it with you in the middle of a show and do something on the stage that we might not have have done otherwise. But uh, ooh, looks like you got yourself a, a brew dog today. I have a root brew dog, Ben. <laughs> a human drink. <laughs> root brew dog. Oh, yeah? You ever go to a restaurant and, you know, you get the food and the side and a drink, but you know full well you're not going to have that drink with the food. This is a food visit, and you're going to take that drink in the car or home. Mm. I went to a, a hamburger's place that sold fancy root beers. Okay. And I was like, that looks really good, but I do not want to take on a fancy root beer and a hamburger and fries. How were the fries? Were they the best fries in Los Angeles? How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) The best fries in Los Angeles are at Burger Master in Seattle. (laughs) And that might always be true. (laughs) Wow. So, uh, So they brought it to your table but did not open it, so that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, so I ended up just taking it home and saving it for later. I mean, that's that's like a lot of calories on calories. Yeah, yeah. For a late afternoon, so I was like, I'm gonna give myself a little treat later, and treat time is now. It's so bubbly and cloy and happy. It's vile. Hell yeah, uh, you deserve it, buddy. You deserve it more than anyone. Ah, come on. It's like that scene in Shawshank Redemption. You know, <laughs> nothing makes a person feel like they're working hard on a podcast like uh, <laughs> like tarring a podcast roof and taking down a root brew dog that's how the dialogue goes right so weird that you so we we're in the middle of recording we're recording two things today we recorded mm-hmm. an episode earlier we took a seven minute break and yeah. now we're recording second episode mm-hmm. of the day mm-hmm. in between I got up opened uh a package full of uh, vacuum cleaner bags, reloaded the vacuum cleaner bag in my vacuum and took a pee. Uh In that seven minutes, I listened to a chunk of an episode of Stop Podcasting Yourself where they were talking about the scene in Shawshank when they were drinking beers on the roof. What the fuck? I don't know how that happens. (laughs) This is Maximum Fun Podcast Ouroboros where (laughs) like Greatest Generation is eating their tail. Yeah, except for you didn't know that. No. I did. You're the one that brought it up. I'm sitting here tripping balls, man. I'm the one that brought it up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We got to text Dave and Graham and uh, and let them know about this Ouroboros thing that just happened. They're going to be totally indifferent to it. Yeah. Love those guys. That's a best in the biz. Fave show of mine. The only Max Fun show putting more bonus episodes into the bonus feed than we are. I know. Are them? They're kind of taking our lunch money on the uh, on the bonus feed thing. But uh, they were talking about how the like they must have gotten like a director that mainly works on beer commercials to come in and shoot second unit for that scene because the beer looks so fucking refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's real. Uh, you know. Wait till you see the pool energy when those beers start coming out of the bucket. Yeah. God. We were the lords of all creation. So great. Great scene. Great scene. Sure makes the warden's lackey look like a great dude. You know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Drink up while it's cold, ladies. Good job. He was great in that, and then he was great later when he uh, enlisted as a buck private so that he could go to war against the bugs in Starship Troopers. (laughs) I turned off Shawshank Redemption after the roof scene. I don't know what happened after that, but, but I felt good about it. Uh, I think I saw enough. They go to Clendathu after that, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> That's a pretty fun game. Like, could like, what is the front half of one movie that you could bolt on to the back half of a second movie <laughs> oh, using yeah. one actor and their character as the pass-through? Yeah, I like it. I like it. Well, speaking of people uh, that are from space dressing up like Nazis, Adam, mm. uh, <laughs> do you get into today's episode of Voyager? Got a bucket full of root brew dogs here. <laughs> I'm ready to go, Ben. Hell yeah. It's Star Trek Voyager Season 4, Episode 19, The Killing Game, Part 2. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> the captain and Seven of Nine have to head to the ass lab to uh, do some work on this whole uh, the bad guys have taken over the ship situation. This scene was so funny to me because <laughs> what is that dude doing in there at the controls? Like he's a projection of a human person. He's like, yeah. a, he's a Nazi guy. What's he doing at that station? He's getting intel from the ass lab. He seemed like a broken non-player character in an open world <laughs> video game. Right. That's like stuck in a corner. Yeah. He doesn't belong <laughs> there. They're getting some some intel. They're figuring out where the Banes are, like where the Nazis are, where the Allies are, where everybody is all over the ship. And uh, they realize that they can actually potentially retake the ship if they enlist the help of simulated characters from the holodeck. There's only like 89 Banes on board, and uh, there's hollow projectors everywhere. So if they team up with hollow allies, they can potentially get their ship back. Is the reason they don't number check the amount of troops available because there are an infinite amount of them that would just be projected as coming like wave after wave? Wow. Yeah. I don't know. I wondered that because they're so specific about the number of bands, but I was like, hey, give me the read on how many troops are on board and no one says it. Right. How many, how many like of the armored division that Chakotay is in charge of are there? How many SS troops? Yeah. I want to know. Yeah. Yeah. So the plan at this point is to disable all of the interfaces. And the only place you can do that is on six bay. We know this. Yeah. The surgical computer where the doc kept uh, working on unhooking the captain's neural interface is the thing that is controlling everybody's neural interface. It makes sense that the one piece of gear that has kept track of everyone's neck, back, pussy, and crack <laughs> is a medical device in Six Bay, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, Kim wants to blow out the whole network. He's he's explaining this to Alpha Bay and like, listen, like your little adventure here has gotten totally out of hand. Now the uh, the hollow inmates are running the... Very real asylum that is Voyager. So if I just overload the whole network, blow out every hollow emitter on the ship, it will shut down the madness and, you know, we can stop this war. And this guy's like, no way, man. I want I want this ship as a prize, not just because it'd be a great prize that would prove I'm a really good hunter, but, like, I want the holodecks to be working specifically. Right. I mean, Carr, 
love him or hate him, like he stays true to his values the entire mm-hmm. way. Yeah. He is not changing his mind about the whole holodeck thing. He's a real iconoclast. Yeah. I love the, like, this happens occasionally where, like, a captain will be in their riding outfit and uh, get called up to the bridge or whatever. Yeah. He's in his Klingon armor. Like, guys in SS uniforms come, like, report to him and, you know, are giving him updates on how the battle is going. There's... You know, the Klingon simulation in Holodeck 2, there's the Nazi simulation in Holodeck 1. It's all getting mixed together. It's a total mess. Carr gets to wear the most costumes of any character this episode, right? Because yeah. he, he wears Bane, he wears Klingon, he wears Nazi. Yeah. There's the part where he's uh, in a vineyard wrestling in the mud with his brother, where he wears like brown overalls and a big right. hat. Famously, an episode not called Brothers. <laughs> as badly as we want it to be called Brothers, yeah. not what it's called. That's not what it's called, it turns out. You have to learn to live with it. The way to solve any problem like this for Banes is more Banes. So that's the order that he gives his beta. And uh, down in Holodeck 1, a lot of the crew are still narrowly uplinked, and so they believe themselves to be in France in the 40s, and they believe that the thing that they blew up in the uh, in the building in the village of St. Clair is some kind of secret Nazi bunker that they like missed on all the intel. Like Tuvok and Chakotay are talking about this, and they're like, boy, am I humiliated that we did not know that the Nazis had a extremely advanced like weapons experimentation lab here in town. I'm so glad you're catching me up on all this, Ben, because I stopped listening as soon as I saw Tuvok in that very comfortable-looking black sweater. (laughs) I wanted that sweater. It did look comfy. Yeah. I mean, one of the big shames about living in L.A. is there's almost never good sweater weather. I have so many good sweaters from my time in Brooklyn, and they just they sit in a drawer. The cut of most sweaters does not do a person any favors in the V-shaped torso department. Mm, mm. And I got to say, Tim Russ looks pretty jacked in the sweater. He's sweater buff. Yeah. That's a big amount of buff. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> he can really fill up that sweater. Yeah, it's really nice. So, you know, the Razy Stunts and the American troops are working together at, uh, you know, Brigitte BLT is trying to like argue for like, hey, let's maybe chill out now that we've discovered that there's like an extremely advanced weapons lab with like metals we don't recognize in it Uh, and uh, and just like calm down while we figure out what's going on here. And Chakotay is like, no, man, like this is time to press the fight. We need to we need to neutralize these Nazis. Yeah, there's a line of dialogue here that was really funny to me which was... This restaurant will serve as our command post. (laughs) I want to use that over on our hit bonus feed podcast, Factory Seconds. Oh, that's a great idea. You should make that into a real show. It's a real show to me, damn it! (laughs) (laughs) So the Resistance have hid caches of weapons all over the place, and these may be helpful to the Allied troops, and uh, Brigitte is going to show Lieutenant Paris where some of these weapons stockpiles are. We gotta have Weps, he's the key. Got to. Weps are the key. And uh, as they're discussing this, the captain shows up through a tunnel under the bar to Jeffrey's tube that leads into the holodeck. And uh, boy, this was fun. (laughs) 
<laughs> what is that? Some kind of an escape tunnel? That's precisely what it is. I mean, decades later, this would have been a mini fridge. Right. <laughs> As it is, it's hard to figure out, like, it's got a door. Yeah, it's just like under bar storage. It's probably yeah. where they keep, like, extra clean glasses or something. I love the idea that things like this were hiding in plain sight on every holodeck program we've ever seen. Like, yeah. if you were to roll over a stone, like you would see an interface or something. Or right. if you knocked on a tree, a panel would open up and you could, like, go into a Jeffrey's tube. This is always here. Yeah. I mean, like, in the past, the holodeck equivalent of hitting pause and going into the interface has been calling for the arch. Yeah. And I like that Voyager has just kind of dispensed with that. That's not something that the Voyager holodeck bothers with. That's a great call. Yeah, the arch is obsolete. Everything is arch. It's oops all arch. Yeah. They're like holding their guns. They're ready to blast the captain. She comes in with seven of nine and she's like, hey, I'm actually the leader of the resistance. Please don't kill me. And they're like, oh, cool. Great. Well, now that you're here, let's talk about our cool plan to fight the Nazis. And this is Janeway's turn to act like the character she was previously. Yeah. This is an interesting tension that pervades the whole thing. Everybody's shocked that she and Seven survived. They're like, we watched that building explode. Like, how are you here? And there's some sort of like Seven of Nine splash over suspicion. Right. Where like if they were together and Seven was suspected of being a spy and now... Janeway trusts her to the extent that they're like going in secret tunnels that no one knew about before. <laughs> it kind of makes Janeway's position seem a little bit dangerous. Yeah. Tuvok is like, hmm, I don't like this. <laughs> he racks another round. Yeah, yeah. And also Janeway is advocating for a much less destructive approach to dealing with the Nazis. She's like, no, 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 no. don't call in the airstrike on the quote-unquote bunker. It's full of warheads that could explode this whole valley. It's mm -hmm. like there, there's experimental weapons in there that, you know, like the description, nobody says nuclear weapon, but like the description that she's using sort of evokes that, like a an unimaginably destructive thing could happen and everybody here would die if you call in this airstrike. But don't worry, I've got a plan and it involves bombing a very specific surgical console in six bay. <laughs> Our course is locked in. Do it. Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. Do it. It's so funny to experience the disconnect of someone who looks like Janeway talking to someone who looks like Chakotay having to dumb it down for him and his feeble <laughs> greatest generation mind, you know, <laughs> like giving him the notes because he won't really get it. Yeah. Well, but, it, but it's Chakotay. As someone who has a feeble greatest generation mind, Adam, I really appreciated it. Yeah. But this is what's so strange about this scene is that like Chakotay has to shift gears from leading the charge to providing cover for Janeway's resistance when it was like, just a scene ago, he was like, we're leading. The resistance needs to get out of our way. Yeah. Just tell us where all your hidden weapons are. But he's down for this in a support role. I'll be right behind you. To his credit, he switches gear really quickly. And the plan is the uh, C Company, the guys that he's in charge of, are going to clear some corridors so that the captain and Seven can get to Six Bay. And 
They just need to talk about corridors on the ship in terms that a 40s army man will conceive of as Nazi bunker. Right. And uh, they've got enough holographic explosives to do the job, but Seven has the idea of also modifying some of these grenades with Borg technology. This was so frustrating because so much of the episode is spent watching Seven tinker with weapons, and I'm like... (laughs) Oh, this is going to be great. Once she gets these weapons going and shooting Borg plasma at people, we're going to see some serious shit. (laughs) Cut to the end. We never see that. It's a huge bummer. Yeah. She's tinkering with the grenades in this scene and Tuvok comes up to the captain and is like, hey, so is she working with the Germans? And I like this a lot because the captain has no memory of any previous conversation about this. Yeah. So she still has to play along and she's like, uh, no, we can trust her. (laughs) (laughs) And Tuvok is like, what are you talking about? Like you were getting ready to kill her. Yeah. Yeah. They get the scene interrupted though by the war reaching their doorstep and everyone has to kind of bail out through that door behind the bar. In Six Bay, some Banes show up with a Bane that has minor injuries, and uh, the doctor's like, okay, well, I'll get to that once I'm done fixing this guy right here that's bleeding out. A burn is not a minor injury, Ben. That guy was in great pain. He was burned. The other guy's losing blood, Adam. (laughs) Why Why are you advocating for the Bane? I'm not. I mean, the Bane's advocate is this nurse who's like, hey, new policy, Bane's to the front of the line, no matter what. And he shuts off the doctor. He doesn't like, he he doesn't want this lip at all. Yeah. I mean, this is going to piss off Alpha Bane, right? Because Alpha Bane is like advocating for, you know, patch these guys up and throw them back into the simulation every single time. And Nurse Bane is like, From now on, leave the wounded prey where they fall. What he's doing is in direct contravention of his orders. Are orders orders or are orders not orders? Orders are orders. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I think. But he was only following orders? Or he's not following orders? Maybe he's good. He was only sent to take pictures. (laughs) Ben, there's something missing from this scene that I know there's no time for, but... Like, you're made to feel great anxiety through the entire episode because of the stakes. But pain is being talked about so often without seeing pain. Right. Like, if we whipped over to Ashmore and we saw, like, half of his face had been charred, Uh that's an effective way to feel something else. Like, it's not just the anxiety of the stakes, but it's also the pain you're meant to endure Mm-hmm. in a mm-hmm. wartime type of context. Yeah. And that, that aspect is missing throughout both halves of this episode, I think. It's interesting that you bring that up because that is the specific injury that the Bane extra that they bring in has. And we don't even get the sense that he's experiencing much Bane pain. Right. And if uh, if he got hit on the head, you don't even really know whether that would count as Bane brain pain. I mean, especially if that was a character that walked through a plate glass window, because then that's pain, 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 <laughs> brain. <laughs> Whoever edits that will have to just put those words in an order that makes more sense. Yeah. Than the order you said <laughs> what should it be? I don't know. Pain. Pain, brain, bane. 
Pain brain, bane pain. <laughs> pain brain, bane pain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If that got delivered onto like a high floor of a building, it would be uh, pain brain, bane pain crane. <laughs> Nobody's listening to this podcast anymore. I'm just watching our download numbers go to zero. You know what? We just do it for us from now on. <laughs> the last episode, we had a little cameo from somebody named Neelix the Talaxian. Yeah. And uh, we get to see a lot more of him in this one. He's uh, he's out camping. He's doing some camping with some uh, other Klingons. They're getting turnt. The thing about camping with Klingons is... You can't expect to not just sleep straight up in the dirt. Like, there are no comforts to a Klingon campsite. Oh, yeah. Come on. An inflatable mattress is for pataks. You're lucky if you're not sleeping in the fire. <laughs> These guys are really getting hammered, man. They are going at it. Yeah. Kanelix is getting absolutely smushed on the blood wine. And they're all getting drunk enough to just fight with each other. And they're supposed to be friends. They're, they're, this is the eve of battle. I would definitely at least have a brood on the eve of battle. I wouldn't want to go into battle with a hangover. Yeah. I've started telling my wife when I'm like extremely drunk that I'm smushed instead of smashed. Uh-huh. Which is like an escalation upon smashed, which is its own thing. Right. Drunk, smashed, smushed is the scale. <laughs> And she loves that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like the color-coded terror alert when we yeah. were uh, going through the early 2000s. Like, yeah. nobody's quite sure what any of it means, but it seems to be important to someone in the government. We're kind of in orange a lot for some reason. Yeah, it seems like we kind of oscillate between smashed and smushed. And yeah. we'd like to know like how freaked out we should be <laughs> about those two things. Back on Voyager, uh, Kim is making his way through a corridor when he encounters a Nazi, but he gets saved by Paris. He did not see that coming. Mm. <laughs> but it's not Paris. I mean, it's Paris who believes himself to be a American soldier. You speak English? Yeah, I speak English. Here's something I didn't imagine saying on our show hmm. or in public or ever. I love the implied racism of this scene. Yeah, I sort of wondered how deep into that it would go because they're, I mean, they're suspicious of Kim because he presents himself as an American who is out of uniform, mm -hmm. which, you know, does not compute. Right. But also there is the, like, internment of Japanese Americans that, like, you could imagine the character that Tom Paris inhabits believing to be a good thing and that should apply to Kim. Like, I sort of wondered if this episode was going to entirely pull its punch about, like, World War II and the Nazis because mm -hmm. it doesn't get all the way there in this scene, but it does it go pretty deep later. So, yeah. It was a, yeah, interesting moment. Could you have passed the Betty Grable test? That's tough. No, I mean, I feel like you're kind of 50-50, right? Like, what would you be staring at? Like, yeah. implies that you're looking at the front of a lady. Yeah, so you can remove butt, plausibly. Yeah. Unless she's got a great big butt that you can see from the front. 
Yeah, unless she keeps it juicy, juicy and eats that lunch. Uh huh. But I don't think that guys in the 40s were really talking that way. Nah. I don't think so either. Yeah. So he passes the Betty Grable test and gets to not get taken prisoner or something. The Betty Grable test is not anything like the Bestel test, right? <laughs> now I think a lot of people consider it to be kind of the opposite of the yeah. Bechdel test. <laughs> I know you don't want to do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Janeway and Chakotay are making their way through Jeffrey's tubes on their way to Six Bay and uh, kind of comparing notes about, uh, you know, what it's like to be in command of a platoon or whatever. And uh, it's a heavy moment where Chakotay's character, you know, expresses something that Janeway really identifies with, which is uh, I'd do anything for those guys, get them home safe. It's got to be a trip to hear Chakotay talk like this while not being Chakotay, as if there's some of him in there somewhere. Yeah, and that was another thing from the last episode that I wondered if we'd get explored more like are these neural interfaces like yeah. not a hundred percent effective are they like starting to fail as the simulations go on longer and longer or something uh but it doesn't go that way instead janeway's like okay you're about to meet some real fucking weirdos there are eccentric people who live in the caves but don't be alarmed they're weird <laughs> the biggest mental leap you need to take in this episode and maybe the whole season is that Chakotay, as U.S. military officer, does not freak the fuck out at seeing this scene around the campfire. <laughs> yeah. They come upon Neelix and his drunk Klingon buddies who are initially extremely suspicious that, uh, you know, somebody penetrated their perimeter and, uh, you know, are talking shit like they know what the Klingon battle is, but they, you know, they're shouting out houses that don't even exist. Captain Chakotay has crawled through 20 yards of Jeffrey's tube and pops out the other side, 20 light years from France. Like, <laughs> he does not comment that he is so far out of town that... <laughs> That he's practically on a different planet, and he's confronted by Kenelix. Yeah. Sunro Tapodacha! I guess my French is a little rusty. Kenelix wants to, uh, like, prove that you're you're not a cop kind of moment when he tosses mm -hmm. the canteen full of blood wine to Chakotay. But for some reason, Chakotay gets out of drinking the blood wine, despite, like, that being, like, explicitly what the Klingons have challenged him to do. I hated this moment. Like, I did not want her to talk him out of it, and I did not want him to listen to her. I wanted to cut back to a drunk Chakotay. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. I wondered if that was the rare moment of actual sensitivity to mm. Native Americans expressed by this show, like the ugly stereotype of the drunk Native being Damn. something that they didn't want to get into. I did not think of it that way, but that... That's a really great call. Yeah. It, it's just a weird moment. Like, it kind of made me wish that they'd, like, swap Chakotay in Paris. Am I making any sense here? Just so that somebody could get super hammered on blood wine that was from the 40s and couldn't handle it. Does everyone know that 
blood wine is twice as strong as whiskey. When Janeway says this, I was like, whoa. <laughs> I had guesses about its strength, but I didn't yeah. know it was like that. Couldn't he just take a shot of it and be like a little buzzed, but not completely fucked up? Like how? Yeah, Chakotay, you don't have to inhale. Like no one can see through the bladder of blood wine. Right, yeah, you could just make it look like you took a big drink. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's what he does. Maybe when she goes around the corner and like wipes the moss away from the Elkar's display, he's like persuading them that he's drinking a bunch of booze that he isn't actually. Wanted more of this scene. Yeah. Well, Janeway finds a computer, uses it to cause the doctor to appear in there. The doctor is now like entirely in resistance mode because he's no longer allowed in six bay, which makes me think that there's a lot of crew members just bleeding out over the course of this episode. Cause I don't yeah. think nurse Bane is, is, you know, super helpful with those guys. Yeah. They're talking about, okay, we need to blow up the surgical console and we've got all these bombs and we're going to like climb through Jeffrey's tubes under the surgical console and set these bombs. I love the obstacle of, you know, I thought we could, just blow up the console without needing to access it. But the idea of it being shielded, requiring someone to go into six bay, I thought was a great alt. A great uh, heightening of the tension because that plan that they came up with at the beginning is not something that is just getting sorted over the course of the episode. It's like new hurdles are thrown in their way at every turn in this episode. And that's a quality to war movie math too. Right. Often the mission as accomplished ends up being very different from what is sketched out in that initial scene, you know? Yeah. So they've made friends with these Klingons and have persuaded the Klingons that there's an even cooler battle that they could get involved with if they come with them. And we cut back to the village of St. Clair where the restaurant has turned into a sort of besieged spot where the uh, soldiers and the resistance are barely holding off the Nazis while they set up a machine gun emplacement across the street. Tuvok is still suspicious of Seven of Nine here. He will not let it go. Yeah. She comes back alone, and being in his presence and not in Janeway's presence is not great for her. Yeah. And she doesn't have the social wherewithal to get how dangerous her position is. Yeah. And like when he's like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I brought this like lunch pail full of German technology from their compound. That doesn't like smooth things over at all. But the descriptions and instructions are all in German (laughs) and you're just able to use all of this stuff and know what it does. Huh? She's like, I studied German in high school. Yeah. Elsewhere in town, BLT's baby daddy and Tarange are taking cover and he asks Carr for authorization to use nucleonic charges. This seems like an escalation to the thing. And Carr from the bridge is like, no, what did I tell you before? Instead, I'm going to send you more hunters. Yeah. Alpha Bane wants his uh, his holodeck in good working order. He's not going to blow up the entire holodeck just to win this war. And it also kind of comports with something he was talking about in the previous episode, which is like his interest in there being sort of a an even footing between hunter and prey. Like yeah. he doesn't think it's fun to hunt when you're just like completely outgunning your prey. So, you know, Beta Bane really looks like an asshole in this scene in front of his boss. It's no fun to play Madden football on rookie. No. No, come on. You can go to the Super Bowl every time. It's not fun to play it on all Madden either. You just want something in the middle. Yeah, nice even challenge. Right. <laughs> 
the captain and Chakotay make it to Six Bay, and it was driving me nuts that they didn't just kill Nurse Bane. I know. Like, why spare this guy? He clearly sucks. He might be more dangerous than most other Banes on the ship. Is it part of the kayfabe of, like, we have to follow the Geneva Convention or something? Like, she would get yeah. shot by Chakotay if she was acting too crazy or something? Don't love that. Yeah. I don't love that unexpressed anyway. I wish that they'd uh, explained it a little further because I, I, you know, defensive ship felt like a totally valid reason to take this guy off the board. I love that Nurse Bane is like, you know, you could just turn on the safety protocols and really make my job easier. <laughs> and uh, Kara's like, I can't. <laughs> he and Chakotay go out in the hallway. Chakotay is like, you know, Suddenly surprised by a bunch of Banes coming around the corner and uh, Nurse Bane runs back, shoots the captain and can't turn off the explosion before uh, he explodes himself. It is so weird to see firearms being deployed on a Starfleet vessel yeah, and to hear them and to see their effect. Like when, when Janeway gets shot in the leg with a fucking gun... Just it just loved, hits different. Yeah. I also just loved how well Kate Mulgrew sold the like, oh shit, a guy just came in. I need to grab my gun. And I like dropped it. Yeah. Because <laughs> I yeah. grabbed it with the wrong hand. Like she doesn't know firearms that well. It's great. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. So this guy is off the board. It kind of made me wonder if everyone in Six Bay is off the board. Like, yeah. did they blow up a bunch of their own crew members, or was that a more local explosion than it looked? Because it blew the door out into the hallway. That's a dark question. Yeah. Pretty cool they made a miniature of that door. Yeah. And then blew it up on a studio back lot. <laughs> yeah. Cut in just fine. I've got to get that platinum. Get that rolled enlargement. I've got to get that platinum. Would not. Are you planning a heist? Gold. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. 
That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Everybody's neural transponders go out at once, and a crew is back. It's about halfway through the episode. Everybody knows who they really are. Yeah. At that exact moment, Tarange enters the fray with backup. Yeah. Some of the Nazis and some of the other Banes come in and take Tuvok, BLT, Seven, and Paris hostage. And hostage is very much how they are described for the rest of the uh, episode. The Nazis, uh, famous for their treatment of hostages. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just uh, following the Geneva Conventions to the letter. This is a scene that is notable mostly for BLT's condition, the condition of her pregnancy, <laughs> because... This is amazing to me. <laughs> because the holographic projection has projected pregnancy inside her body. Yeah, so that means in the other one, when the captain was the Klingon, it was projecting pigment onto her skin. Yeah. It was projecting a loaf onto her forehead. Yeah. It's, uh, it's projecting a baby that she can feel kicking. I mean, at what point is it not a simulation and more like an actual recreation of a way of being? This is like technology that Nathan Fielder could be using on the rehearsal. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is like technology that like a high school health class could use to way greater effect than trying to carry around a sack of flour for a week. <laughs> yeah, that sack of flour is not wet enough. <laughs> <laughs> so 
beta bane guy is like all right i'm getting ready to kill all the prey now that your little thing has failed and all of the neurotransmitters are down and alpha bane is like no 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 i need them they're hostages and uh they're they're all the leverage we have to get these other guys to fix the ship up and turn this thing into the hologram hunting preserve that i want to turn it into so uh you know seal up that door and uh and keep those hostages safe and uh boy beta bane just like rolling his eyes yeah this sucks this sucks for him does not like i will say this for the herogen adam they are convincing the nazis not to kill people <laughs> in this episode <laughs> maybe if we had a few more herogen around world war ii things would have ended up differently yeah there is a, a pretty wild scene where Paris is like describing what Nazis are to Seven of Nine and compares them to the Borgs and says, no offense. And she's like, no, 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 none taken, none taken. <laughs> Don't mind being compared to a Nazi at all. Mm. Yikes, Seven of Nine. Yeah, when you don't mind being compared to Nazis, I think that's when you've lost the moral high ground. <laughs> Back on Holodeck 2, we're, we're told fairly early on, two Holodeck programs are going, the Klingon 1 and 2, the World War 2 1 and 1. Yeah. And that's what's so confusing, right? Put World War 2 in Holodeck 2. Whoa. Put the Klingon 1 in Holodeck 1. That's what they should have done, because yeah. it's the Klingon 1, so it shouldn't be in 2, it should be 1. Right. So Kenelix is in there feeling a little more like Neelix. Doctor Trouble. Now what? Yeah. And he warns the doc that uh, you are not going to want to experience these Klingons waking up hungover. What are we going to do? Yeah, because they want to be led and Kenelix is the person that they imagine will lead them. Yeah. Boy, they couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> yeah. They're about to be very disappointed with Neelix leading the way and the doc covering their flank, which is <laughs> how the distribution of tasks go. I love the doctor like swishing the knife around in the air like you guys uh gonna get what you asked for yeah asking me to cover the flank how many seasons ago was the doctor a brave knight <laughs> it seems like forever ago and he's yeah. entirely forgotten yeah that was a long time well up in Janeway's office she is brought before Alpha Bane who has uh Brought in some, like, Netflix-grade interior designers. Yeah. I see you've done some redecorating. Carr offers Janeway uh, a side of hush puppies to go along with her fish and chips. <laughs> we give you lots of reasons to love us. It's been herogenized. And he's like, you know, like, I've got this great plan going. You're a very dumb prey. I've, I've fought way better than you, and uh, I don't want to explain it to you. But I have this grand vision for the Herogen, and I, I need your ship to do it. So I'm, uh, I just like you, what you need to understand is that I will kill everyone that I don't need to make this vision happen. I have all the hostages I'm going to need. And she's like, good luck, you fucking prick. We'll destroy this ship before we surrender it. What's great about Janeway is that she's always willing to hit the button and blow up the ship. <laughs> She's like, that's cool. You have this insane plan, but I would rather die myself and blow up the ship. And so would everyone on the crew than let you go through with this. And it's funny, like after saying this, Carr's like, but I still want to tell you about my philosophy. 
(laughs) (laughs) I really want you to know. I mean, she persuades him that he underestimates her and... To his credit, he like reevaluates and mm-hmm. explains his philosophy. And she's like, you could have just asked, man. Like, we could just trade technologies. Yeah. Like, I admire what you're trying to do. For sure. Hunt holograms and not people. The Banes are the Binars. World War II is Minuet. Y'all just want to fuck Minuet. <laughs> yeah. That's what this whole thing is. Then like... Take it from me. Wolf 359 is really going to drive your guys wild. Like, that that's some crazy shit right there. There's nothing sexy about Wolf 359, though. That is just a <laughs> blood and guts battle right there. Yeah, it really is. I was very surprised th- that Janeway was willing to share technology with him. Like, she has been so reticent to share anything with any alien that they've met. But I kind of feel like she is has so little leverage in this scene that... It sort of makes sense. I want my ship back, but in return, I will give you what you need to create the holodeck technology. So often a deal like this is proposed, and it's immediately countered with, well, what's stopping the Bane from killing her and the rest of the crew anyway? Right. And no one says that, and I think that's intentional, right? You're sped through the end of this scene into the next, so you don't have time. Yeah, it also doesn't seem like the Banes have really dedicated themselves to like the art of technology development and engineering the way a Harry Kim has. I kind of doubt that they could figure this all out. Yeah, with how net-based their decorations tend toward. Yeah. They're a real uh, net and barrel kind of society. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's just down at the net and barrel getting some new... uh, rocks tumbler glasses for my uh, yeah. home bar cart. I used to be into crafting, but the local net and barrel started giving to awful political organizations. And <laughs> <laughs> now I just buy online. Not that yeah. that's any better. New. No. So in the holodeck, Brigitte's Nazi boyfriend is starting to get a little impatient. He's like, I don't know about this whole hostage thing, Beta Bane. I think we should probably start whacking these guys. Uh, The Commandant was in my office in the previous episode and didn't exactly espouse, like, flawless Nazi ideology. So I'm sort of wondering if we should start to question the orders he's giving. I love this scene. I wish we got more of them together because their tension is interesting and unintentionally funny. Like, the idea that Tarange is at the bar, like, drinking wine next to a box of grenades, like, (laughs) bitching about his circumstances, just delights me. He's like, the guy I have the most in common with is the bad guy in this video game. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's making me really hate my boss. It's really fun. Seven of Nine is told to sing or die in this scene and it is a great scene for seven she is such a badass here because she's like not only no won't i sing for you i'm willing to die instead of sing and not only that once i'm dead my ghost will haunt you as the borg slowly assimilate your entire species (laughs) it is so hardcore when that moment arrives remember me seven is metal yeah she's metal as hell we do not get another singing number from Jerry Ryan in this episode. And she's sort of saved by the bell because Alpha Bane calls down to Holodeck 1 and tells Beta Bane, like, hey, great news. Made a deal with their captain. They're going to give us their Holodeck technology and we don't even need to continue with this war and fighting all the guys in the Holodecks. 
So you, uh, you know, wrap things up down there, broker a peace between the Nazis and the allies. Like we're going to do a ceasefire and, and a drawdown. And uh, that's your job. Those are your marching orders, buddy. As long as everyone's on the same page, things are going to work out great. And so everyone like scatters and that leaves BLT's baby daddy and uh, Taranjan here to discuss the aftermath. And this is his last chance to reject Carr's order as a form of weakness, right? Yeah. Carr sucks. He's not going to take the fight to the weak the way we are. He's never embraced the Fiora. He doesn't get it, but somebody that does get it is the SS officer who really speaks explicitly about the ideology of Nazis in a way that like movies and TV shows almost never do. Yeah, I was surprised and grateful for a scene like this. Like, this is what you want. This is the ideology made plain. Like, Nazis are often depicted as cruel, and we're supposed to take it for granted that they're villains, but, like, it's it's often through their kind of, like, cruelty toward characters that we are following that we understand their villainy. Mm-hmm. This guy, like, says the, like, ideological underpinnings of the villainy also, and Beta Herogen is like, this is what I believe too, man. Like, I can't believe the fucking bad guy in the video game is like reconnecting me with my own personal raison d'etre. But he is. We must be faithful to who we are. Do you find it unlikely that anyone from the 1940s could convince anyone from the 2300s of anything? (laughs) I mean... Like, human or not, Bane or not, it just seems like there'd be such an intellectual disconnect across centuries that this feels miraculous. But the thing is, like, Taranj was already ready to be tipped over. Like, Taranj wanted this the whole time. He's looking for an excuse. Yeah. And he's like, You merely adopted a cruel and primitive ideology. I was born here. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Do it. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. So... Everybody's like wrapping up outside. All the soldiers are kind of walking around. They've really dropped their guards. Everyone's drinking uh, root brew dogs <laughs> together. If you drink enough of it, you begin to like it. It's insidious. And uh, it seems like it's going great. The Americans are walking around the town like they own the place and not worried about getting shot at. Loosen up, baby doll. The war's almost over. And then suddenly they're getting shot at. Yeah. But we don't get to stay in this scene where. <laughs> We're reminded that Kenelix is still a thing (laughs) where he rallies his drunken warriors and enlists them in whatever the cause is. Yeah. At the EMH's urging, Kenelix gets a bunch of Klingon warriors ready to run into 1940s Europe and Batleth Nazis, which... Don't you wish maybe we didn't get this scene at all? Because this is such a transparent foreshadowing like hey don't forget about Kenelix and these guys right (laughs) only to bring them in heroically later I kind of don't want this scene at all because I want it to be even more of a surprise and a satisfying one at the very end it's a very like I feel like every scene with Neelix is like hey remember there's Neelix yeah and that's unfortunate this doesn't really seem to like advance the story much at all yeah it's mostly there for comic relief like you know him pretending to be Klingon-y while bossing these guys around. Right. 
down in the engineering section, Janeway is working with Alpha Bane about how to shut down all the simulations. And it's pretty complicated given how many hollow projectors are installed throughout the ship. But we're back to the thing that Kim was suggesting right at the beginning, which is overload the network and will dissipate all the holograms. And they're talking this through when Beta Bane barges in with a rifle and shoots Alpha Bane in the heart, or where I presume he keeps his heart. Twice. Yeah. Pretty rugged scene. Double tap to the chest. I didn't believe he was going to die until he was dead. I was surprised by this. I was too. I, I'm surprised that Klingons don't make bulletproof armor. Yeah. I'm surprised that uh, Beta Bane got the gumption to do this. I'm surprised that Alpha Bane didn't you know, pull out an energy weapon and shoot back at all. He's just so taken by surprise. The slowness that this scene unfolds in is part of what makes it so effective. Like, there's that pause after Carr dies where Janeway's like, What are you waiting for? And when Tarange is like, You're next up as my prey. Yeah. I didn't believe Janeway was going to participate and run out of the room. I was surprised when she takes off. And then for much of the rest of the episode... He's like Pepe Le Pew to her lady skunk. <laughs> right. Like she's running around like crazy and he's like methodically searching the ship for her. That's going on. There's like fighting in the streets of St. Clair while the open decks of Voyager loom over everyone. Seven is working on her super grenade that's designed to stop the hollow projections from working. Which sort of feels like the same thing as what Kim is working on, but just on a like much smaller scale. Mm-hmm. Kim is up on the bridge working on that while you know Captain Janeway is like crawling through Jeffrey's tubes trying to get away from Beta Bane, and it's like a eight minute countdown or something. Like it's going to take a super long time for the plan to go into effect. Why is it eight minutes? I don't know. I never understand the utility of that. Yeah. What's the worst that could happen if it goes off too soon? I don't know. Seven gets up ready to throw her Borg grenade and catches a bullet in the chest when she does it. And the grenade explodes and it just erases all of the holograms around. And it made me wonder, does the bullet in her chest disappear when the grenade goes off? I mean, because there is no mention of her injury because of this shot afterward, I kind of assumed that to be the case, but a bullet went inside her. Yeah. It does not remove the damage of a bullet wound. Didn't seem like it would, uh, yeah, it, would, it wouldn't It would save her life, but it maybe would help her a little bit. I don't know. I mean, also, she's made of different stuff. That's true. That's true. As an XB. So, I mean, maybe it's not as lethal as we would assume. Janeway lays a pretty interesting trap for Beta Bane, which is she's running down the hallway and sees where the limits of the hollow grid are because a corpse is lying like half in, half out. <laughs> And she conceals that reveal by pulling the corpse like into the bounds of the hollow grid so that when Beta Bane comes down that way, his gun like disappears out of his hands and she bonks him with a pipe and then picks up a gun and starts chasing him. And uh, now she's got the upper hand and now the prey has become the hunter. How much did you love the Star Trek version of war brutality? <laughs> By seeing this guy's severed legs below the knee yeah. and having it just be the boundary 
of the hollow projector. Like what an elegant solution to the gore problem, you know? Yeah. Probably couldn't show that gore on a syndicated show at that time. But that is like a way that you experience war in a war film is that kind of injury. Yeah. It's really well done. So he comes around a corner on like one of the upper decks that looks down into holodeck one where world war two is and not where the Klingon one is. And he's watching Klingon warriors run through the streets of St. Clair using bantleths on Nazis. And, uh, Janeway confronts him with a rifle. This hunt is over. Tell your hunters to stand down. I'll use this if you force me to. And, uh, I love that she shoots him. He goes for her and she shoots him. And we get to see him fall off this high level. It's like a digital body falling, but it's really cool. Yeah. This is Kirk kicking the Klingon off of the cliff. Yeah. Of the Genesis planet. She's had enough of him. Yeah. And uh, that's when Harry's hollow emitter override goes. And... uh all the bad guys disappear. The village does not. I was kind of expecting it to go to hollow grid. Yeah. But uh, it does not. It just goes to village. And that is the end of the, the siege of St. Clair on the Voyager. Yeah. Pretty wild. The button catches us up on the fallout from this conflict. A truce has been agreed to by both sides, both the Banes and the Voyagers. And... Janeway keeps up her end of the bargain in the cargo bay. They meet up and she's carrying a gaming PC and she gives it (laughs) to the Banes. You know, it's got like the cool cutout on the side and it's water cooled for some reason. It seems pretty dangerous to combine water and the computer, but there's like weird lighting inside it. It looks really neat. It does look really cool. I mean, it's like, I don't know if I could really count on spending like three grand on something that's for playing fucking Duke Nukem or whatever. <laughs> like I, I will save my money and buy a $400 console. Thank you very much. But, uh, you know, you do you, if that's what you're into. It's horsepower culture though. You know, it's yeah. like, uh, to a type of computer person that is the hot rod. Yeah. And then they start calling themselves master race and you're like, PC Master Race makes me very uncomfortable. And they're like, no, yeah. no, it's just about being into computers. And then you find out that a lot of them are actually like alt-right freaks on the internet. And you're like, oh, huh, interesting. Not all computer nerds, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like this episode, Adam? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. I'm yeah, I like the episode, and I think due in large part to this final scene. It doesn't seem like this is going to work. Yeah. But Janeway, as diplomat, is supreme. There's coffee in that holodeck technology on your own vessels. She's honoring the deal that she had with Alpha Bane, and like none of these guys knew about that deal. They're like, uh... <laughs> What is this thing that you're giving us? <laughs> but it's almost like by showing deference and respect to the predecessor, she earns their respect or trust as it pertains to this deal. Yeah, totally. And they seem fine enough with accepting the gaming PC and fucking off, even though it seems like as soon as they got back on their ships, they could just destroy Voyager. Yeah. It seems pretty crippled. Yeah, it doesn't seem like their ships are particularly great, though, right? Yeah, 
Maybe not. I mean, equal to Voyager, I guess, but they're outnumbered. I mean, they took over Voyager. Yeah. But, yeah. I watched the two halves of the killing game back to back, and I was surprised to learn that this was an instance where the episodes actual played back to back on TV when they came out. Oh, interesting. This was a same night Voyager special event. Wow. And I'm glad I got to consume it in that same way. I wonder if it hits differently if you watch it one week and then watch part two the next. But as one total package, I I found it very satisfying. There were some logical things that fell apart in part two, like the holes seemed more apparent Mm. in what was happening in part two than part one. What seemed more apparent? The holes. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure what you were talking about for a second there. But the pace of story was so brisk yeah, yeah. that yeah. like, you're just on to the next so quickly in a really effective way. It was, I mean, as a concept and as an execution, I thought it was great. It's one of my favorite two-parters in Star Trek. I think it's right up there with Year of Hell to me. It's interesting to learn that it played on one night because one thing we talked about with best of both worlds is that when they like edited that together as one 90 minute thing and released it in movie theaters for like a special one night only, like the main thing about best of both worlds is a scene that is broken by editing it together. Yeah. (laughs) I think this plays way better in, you know, as one 90 minute thing. I almost Mm -hmm. wish we'd reviewed it that way. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we, then we would, like, probably make our advertisers mad. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we can't do that. We can't screw up our production runway either. Yeah. We need every episode on the week that it's supposed to be out. Yeah, indeed. But, uh, yeah, I thought this was really terrific. And I think I like it more than Year of Hell. I, I feel like The Killing Game des- deserves a better, a, a higher place in the pantheon than Year of Hell, which I thought kind of fumbled the end. In a way that this didn't. I hope this isn't the end of the Banes either. I would like to keep encountering them throughout the series up until the very end. I think they are a fascinating species. And part of my fascination with them is that they are so different one kind of Banes to another. Well. You never know what you're going to get with them. We'll see what we can do, Adam. All right. All right, buddy. Why don't we go check out the Priority One inbox for this episode and see what we got in there. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, we've got a couple of Priority One messages here, beginning with one of a promotional nature. Oh, okay. And uh, we actually have a script with this. Okay. I'm sending you the sides. You have them? <laughs> yeah, I just hate showing up at one of these things and I see a bunch of guys that look like me but are handsomer and have better agents in the in the waiting room, you know? Look, man, no one's got a better agent than we do. That's true. That's true. Or a better friend, Adam. Mm, indeed. <laughs> Don't try to make a copy of the script either. Oh, yeah, yeah. This company will know exactly where it came from okay so it looks like i start here um hold on i'm gonna i'm gonna hit record on the on the camcorder here <laughs> on the very cheap tripod okay and whenever you're ready benjamin harrison i'm six foot four and i'm reading for benjamin hey adam what's that ben have you heard of this new site dongshop.biz dongshop.biz 
dongshop.biz, a new way to join the USS Hood Discord where FODs <laughs> could gather and chat with a great community. They've got watch parties, games, and you can earn XP and badges by hanging out and participating. Provided by the strange AI-powered megalomaniacal bot Agamus, who you can even chat with. Sounds great. Dongshop.biz. So visit dongshop.biz to join the Discord. I can't believe that was available. I can't either. I'm shocked. <laughs> there is a very sad purveyor of dildos right now, ready to go to market. Yeah, yeah. Using a substandard URL now because this one's taken. Do you think that I'm going to get the part even though I sort of fumbled my pronunciation of megalomaniacal? You know, why don't you give me another read and just like get weird with just it? Just do you one know? for me? Like, no bad decisions. Okay. Dongshop.biz, a new way to join the USS Hood Discord where FODs can gather and chat with great community. They've got watch parties games, and you can earn XP and badges by hanging out and participating, provided by the strange AI powered megalomaniacal bot, Agabus, who you can even chat with. Hey, uh, hey, that was great. Um, Brian, we'll, we'll call you back. Okay. <laughs> Brad, is it? Adam, our second P1 is from Rich, and it's to Erica, and it goes like this. Erica, it's been 11 years since we watched Cause and Effect together on our third date. Now, hundreds of shuttlecraft and girders later, you are still the entrepreneur to my Previa. <laughs> Whoa. The BLT to my B-Dunks, the Beverly to my Doc Hollow day. When I think about the next 11 years, I can only say, sounds great. P.S. Ankylosaur, Ankylosaur, Ankylosaur. And we got that on the requested date. I love that we've got two sounds greats in a row. And I think it's a testament to Robert Beltran that I feel like he is unimpressionable. Yeah. I can't do sounds great as good as he does, and I can't get it even close. No, he... There's yeah, it's an uncrackable impression code. I, I would say a <laughs> lot of imagery of things going into other things there from Rich. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's big fun. And uh, congratulations on your eleven years together with Erica. Yeah, sounds like a fun relish. Ben, our final priority one message is from Phil from the past, and it is to Ben and Adam. That message goes like this: Hey guys. I'm sending myself a P1 from the past. I'm way back on season seven of Deep Space Nine and churning my way through the end of the series before I jump on the Voy train. <laughs> I'll probably send another P1 when I get to the TGG episode where this P1 airs. Hopefully my pace picks up. By the way, congrats on the time off for Adam and the new baby for Ben and family. I love the order of that, Phil. <laughs> Great order of congrats there. <laughs> First congratulating me for my time off and then to Ben for making a person with his wife. Yeah. How did Phil even know about that if, if he's so deep in the stacks? That's a great question. I don't know. Someone tipped Phil off. Yeah, I guess so. Well, thanks to everyone who got a P1. And if you'd like to get one, 
and uh, support the show while you're at it. You can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set one up today. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? I'm going to give it to the captain for fumbling the gun when she was in the, you know, at the surgery console in Six Bay. That is, we talk about act drunk and that's like a thing that is hard to nail. I think fumble is a really hard thing to nail, like making it look like you dropped something unintentionally and really selling that is a weirdly tricky acting challenge. And it's like a moment where she's also getting, you know, grazed with a bullet. So it's uh, it's a tough moment for her, but it's such a funny, like, my gun, <laughs> <laughs> just conceptually. Yeah. And the the extent to which she nails it in in uh, execution is just great. So I think that's my, my drunk Shimoda moment for the episode. How about you? Interesting for a show depicting characters operating firearms that they're unfamiliar with, that there are no accidental firearms things happening. There's no accidental grenade drop. There's no accidental explosion outside of something that's caused by an external force, I mean. Yeah. Like everyone, once they get the switch flipped, still kind of knows what they're doing. When your gun is a key fob that's in your pocket, I bet you have to have just incredibly good trigger discipline. Yeah. Like it's just like a button that you could like accidentally set a pack of matches on and <laughs> vaporize someone across the room. When the stakes are that high. Yeah. That's <laughs> that's a great call. Ben, my drunk Shimoda is gonna go to Neelix and mostly just for his usage. I feel like Neelix should be in this episode more. Yeah. He's given the hero turn. He and the Klingons yeah. come to save the day at the very end. But there's something that feels unsatisfying about that moment because he's so tacked on in every other moment. Yeah. It almost feels just like a, like, what if Nazis fought Klingons? Like, yeah. nerd speculation, like a Batman versus Superman moment. I mean, I love seeing a Nazi killed by a Batleth. That's fun. I, I do really like that, too. But... It was very jackable. But, like, it was... There was a limit to the good feeling, you know? Right, right. <laughs> like, I feel like, I can't believe I'm saying this. I wanted more Neelix throughout this two-parter. Yeah, I think that's apt. I mean, it was it was a shame to have him just get used as punchline. Yeah. You know, in the World War II prison camp movies, like, the guy that can get anything is such an interesting guy, and that's kind of the, the utility of the Neelix character, and it would have been very interesting to see him put some of those skills to use in a World War II context. It's true. Yeah. Why don't we uh, head over to uh, gach.biz slash game, Adam. I'm going to tell you about season four, episode 20, buddy. (laughs) It's an episode called Vis-a-Vis. An alien test pilot who has the capability of switching bodies manages to take Tom's place aboard the Voyager in order to escape the lure. He's on the run from the lure. I got a great big birdie switch. (laughs) I switch from birdie to birdie. (laughs) Is this a a freaky ferdy? Yeah, I guess it is. With the birdies? Are the birdies. (laughs) Ben, our runabout is on square 40 at the game of buttholes. The will of the caretaker. Oh, that's where we left it. A couple squares ahead. 
is the Brone Zone Square. I wonder if we're going to hit it. Oh, I glimpsed that. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Do you glimpse the fullness of the Brone Zone Square? Let's find out. I glimpsed that Coco Nono that we could also hit. Ben, I have landed us on the Brone Zone Square. <laughs> I take it you're in charge here. <laughs> Team Leader Brone, fourth boy defense contingent. I gotta get a pump. That's it, get it. That is where we must communicate using glorified Vori tellings during the fullness of the episode. Fuck. People are going to hate that. Also, like, 85 to 90% chance that we forget to do it because yeah. we are going to be... This is this is the last thing we were recording before paternity leave for me. Yeah. And uh, a long break for Adam. So, uh, hey, if we don't remember to do that next week, forgive us, but maybe Wendy will remind us. Yeah. I like her chances of remembering more than ours. <laughs> True. Well, uh, if you want to glimpse that in its fullness, check back here next week. In the meantime, we got to thank Wendy Pretty for doing all of this great work to keep the show up and running while we have been away. We got episodes out for uh, for the people for a long time without you or I being there to, to lay them down. And uh, that is largely due to Wendy's hard work and uh, some special guest editors we're bringing in and also something that is only possible because of the generous support of the Friends of DeSoto. Uh, we are very lucky to have a job as silly as this that also can accommodate a break like this. So uh, for everyone who has gone to MaximumFun.org slash join and set up a membership, thank you so much. I mean, it's the fullness of the Uxbridge Shimoda org that makes the whole thing possible. True. Save that kind of talk for next week, though. <laughs> I mean, we all worked extremely hard to make this happen. And I think it is because we all care about you having this time. And we are all really excited about this new chapter in your life. And I'm so happy for you and your wife. I know you both are going to be great parents. That is going to be an incredibly fortunate kid. Wish uh, I wish more people had parents like I know you and your wife to be. And I'm just... Really happy for you guys. Thanks, bud. I'm just filled with gratitude right now uh, for you and for Wendy and for all of the uh, folks that support what we do in ways big and small. Grateful for uh, Bill Tilly for running the social medias at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter. Grateful for Nick Ditmore who made our artwork. Grateful for uh, Adam Ragusia, the goose, who made our, our original theme music. Dark Materia, who gave us access to the Picard song all those years ago. I'm a gratitude man today, buddy. Sure are. We'll be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager where Adam and I are maybe too high to remember how the Vori talked. <laughs> Is that a part of this episode that I wasn't aware of where we're also going to get very high? It's episode 420, baby. We don't have a oh, choice. Oh, shit. That's right. <laughs> okay. We got to remember. <laughs> we need Wendy to remember. Yeah, yeah. Make it show.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.